Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their holly jolly hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 143. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Hope that you are having a great week. Uh, it is getting pretty close to the holidays now. I guess we're in the holidays and Christmas is right around the corner when this comes out. And uh, just grateful for you coming back for another episode if you're if it's your first one. Man, I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for checking it out. Hope that you enjoy it. Guys, uh, it's been a while since somebody's left a rating and review on iTunes at least. So if you listen to this on iTunes and my stats tell me that there's quite a few of you that do, I'm going to guess not all of you have left me a rating and a review. Could you help me out? That would be a great Christmas gift, just your little way of giving back. Leave a five-star review if you want to leave a little comment. It kind of updates it a little bit on there, so when people are looking for podcasts, they realize, hey, this one's uh, still pretty active, and right now I'm trying to do one episode a week or thereabouts, and so I would love it if you would do that. I'll tell you, things are going pretty good right here, not from a hunting standpoint, but just from a (laughs) family standpoint. It's that time of year, get to spend some extra time with my kids and do some fun stuff. And I don't know that I've really, looking back, it's been a while since my last time. I think I actually told you about it on the last episode. So uh, no real hunting updates. I really wanted to go this morning, but weather's just not great. Uh, The wind wasn't great for a couple spots, and I really need to work. Um, I've been working, (laughs) uh, not working the last couple days, trying to get my grandmother moved into assisted living, going through that type of deal. And... um, yeah, it's just been one of those things where it's, you know, sometimes life happens and you don't get to hunt as much. And and I, my buddy Trav um, was talking to Josh, and Josh kind of made this analogy. For a person to try and get a buck right now, it's it's like a kid trying to chase a ball over a hill. And no matter how fast that kid tries to run, the ball just seems to be getting further and further away. And I thought to myself, wow, that's really depressing. <laughs> Thanks a lot for telling me that. <laughs> but it, it is, I mean, I'll tell you what, late season can be, um, if you're in the right spot, if you have a good um, food source or whatever. I've had some encounters in December on some bucks, but the weather just isn't playing, uh, playing well right now, uh, at least not whenever I'm able to hunt. There was a cold front this week. Unfortunately, I had too many things going on, was not able to hunt it. Um, and, you know, that's just life. It's okay. There's meat in the freezer, and um, I might dust out the old uh, muzzle loader since I've got a an extra gun season coming up here. But I don't know. We'll see. I'm still pretty stubborn. We might have a few more bow hunts up my sleeve, and we'll see how that plays out. But that's okay. Um, main thing to focus on and something my wife and I've been doing. It's pretty neat. Um, there was a speaker that came and spoke here at our church uh, for like a youth event, and one of the things he talked about that they do at their church is they they challenge everybody. From the time Thanksgiving ends, day after Thanksgiving, all the way up till Christmas, every day write down seven things that they are thankful for. And um, you can't repeat anything on the list on another day. So I can't just say wife and kids or whatever every single day. I have to find something new every single day to be thankful for. And, you know, some, sometimes it's a little hard. I try and do it at the end of the day so I have time to really kind of reflect and, and think. But I, I tell you what, you start doing that and you start thinking about how many things that you can be thankful for, just little things um, that you're grateful for. I mean, I've written down <laughs> different foods that I'm grateful for. Yesterday I was thankful to move my grandmother in um, and have the help, and it really wasn't that hard of a move, and that was good. I mean, just the fact that one of the major things was – I've been praying that my grandmother would realize that that's probably the best move for her right now. She's had a couple strokes. Her living at home with her little dog and just watching TV all day long 
isn't good. And I called her one day and she was, no, I ain't going, I ain't going. She was in the nursing home uh, at this point because of her strokes. And, uh, but they told her she could go back home and I, she's adamantly opposed. So I'm like, why don't we come up and talk tomorrow? So I call her on the phone the next day and she goes, Hey, I prayed about it and God gave me an answer. Don't, you don't have to say anything. I'm like, okay. And she goes, God told me I need to go to the assisted living place. I was like, Oh my goodness. That's, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad God could convince you. Cause I couldn't, you know, just things like that where you're like, man, I prayed for that and God came through and I'm just thankful. So you know, those are the things that I'm just kind of grateful for. Maybe it's something you, I mean, you got a few days between now and Christmas. It's so important because during this time of year, you can get so fixated on the gifts and the Christmas parties and just how crazy this time can be. So that little thing of just writing down those seven uh, seven things you're thankful for every day, it's, it's a pretty cool little thing to do, and I might continue that in future years. But we have some hunting stories for you today, so we're going to transition over. Um, we have a repeat guest on. I've been getting a few of those, and I, I really do enjoy that. I love catching up with people, hearing what's going on in their lives, and there are some major changes that are happening uh, for our buddy Anthony Weaver. Um, we get toward that. Get get. I want you to listen to this whole episode because this guy and his family are about to make. They're they're leaning very strongly toward a life altering decision. Um, and it involves a move and some other things. I won't spoil it, but we talk about that toward the end of the episode. The whole front of the episode is all about some of his most recent hunting stories since he's been on the show. Uh, we get into some saddle hunting. We talk about saddle hunting tactics, SRT, and one sticking and those sorts of things. If that's your thing, great. If not, we do a good job, I think, of explaining what it is and why we, why Anthony is going that route. We also get into some Pennsylvania flintlock um, stories, just uh, hog hunting. So there's a little bit of everything packed into this one, and we have a great conversation. Um, so I, I think that you guys are going to enjoy this, and that's all I got for you right now. Stay tuned to the end. We'll talk a little bit more, but thank you guys for coming back. And without further ado, here's my friend Anthony Weaver. Well, joining me on the line again is my friend Anthony Weaver from Georgia. Anthony, how you doing, man? Doing great, Travis. And yourself? Oh, doing wonderful, man. We uh, had some church stuff tonight that we were doing, getting ready for Christmas plays and all that fun stuff. But I am uh, happy to not be doing any more work, and I can just talk about deer hunting right now. So how you been? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Christmas is coming. It's amazing. It seems like this year has just flown by. I mean, <laughs> Thanksgiving was just yesterday, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. I think it, you think maybe it's like coming out of 2020. 2020 was just like the craziest year of anybody's life, it seems like. And you came out of that, and it's just like this year was just like everything was on. Like It was just so much faster because you had more stuff to do, and you're able to get out of your house more. I don't know. It just seemed I, – I agree. It just seemed like 2021 has like been the fastest year of my life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can agree with that. But, yeah, no. Life is good. God is good. Um, since the last time we talked, God has done some beautiful things in my life. In June, I celebrated one year of marriage with my wife, and then that was June 6th. June 21st, we welcomed our little daughter into the world. And Yeah, uh, God is just so good. I'm very <laughs> thankful. And congratulations, man. That's exciting stuff. That's awesome. So what's, what's, uh, being, a new, what's being a new dad like? How's that been for you? It's amazing. There's, it definitely has its challenges. There's a lot of new things and you don't sleep at night like you used to. I mean, <laughs> sleep gets interrupted and all that good stuff. You would oh, yeah. know, but <laughs> no, it's, it's a tremendous blessing in spite of it all. And I'm looking forward to many years to come with her and 
other yeah. children that God chooses to give us. Absolutely, man. That's awesome. So you were uh, back on episode 113. So that's been a little while back, not too far back, but uh, we were talking turkeys um, is what you came on the first show to talk a little bit about. So how did how did turkey season go this this year? I mean, so your wife was pretty pregnant and all of that getting into, like you said, June, right? So how, how did your turkey season go? Yeah, it was rough. Um, my wife came with me most of the times, actually, that I turkey hunted, but it was really tough. The first day I started out hunting highly pressured public land, I got on some birds. I was moving in there, and another hunter was going in, too, and he got way too close and blew them all out. Oh, man. <laughs> so then that was, that was it for that day. Um, I had a bird on private land that I, I really thought I was going to seal the deal on. He was coming in really close, but he hung up with some thick brush between me and him, and I never got a shot. It was mm-hmm. actually really funny because I was down in the creek bottom. He was in a clear cut, and I was working with him, and I have this diaphragm call in my mouth, and it's a really brilliant orange color. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there on this log working this turkey, and I stuck the call out of my mouth, and I'm just holding it in my teeth. And I heard this noise and I'm like, what in the world? And I'm looking around and here it comes right at me. And it's a hummingbird coming right up to my diaphragm call. And he's hovering just a couple minutes, just a couple inches, like in front of my face, just back and forth and up and down, checking this thing out. I thought it was a flower. No way. That's crazy. (laughs) It was pretty cool. Never had anything like that happen before. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's wild. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I can relate. I can relate to turkey season being a little challenging. I mean, I was able to shoot one on opening day, and then from then on out, it was just some hard hunting. It felt like it was just tricky to get on them, and I don't just, I don't know. It just seems like uh, across the nation, it seems like a lot of folks I talked to this year for some reason was just a lot harder to get on birds. Yeah, yeah, it can be that way, and turkeys are that way too. I know last season, last week or it was either the last week or second to last week i did strike one up on public land i called him in he hung up at about 40 yards i wasn't expecting to see one we were just taking a walk in checking trail cameras and stuff but i did have my shotgun and my turkey calls but i left my decoys in the car and it seemed like that's what he was looking for Mm. so i i (laughs) i took a shot at him i thought i I thought I had him. He was moving when I shot, though, and I missed him. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's just the way it goes. <laughs> yeah, it is. Ohio, uh, they just actually recently came out and said that this year we only get one bird. So the last few years we've been able to do two. And so they've, they've cut us back to one, which I'm actually kind of grateful for because it does seem like a lot of folks I've talked to, just the numbers have been down. There's been a lot more hunters. So I'm hoping this helps you know kind of keep the population going up. I'd love to have – more turkeys and less so we'll see how that goes so yeah yeah absolutely it seems like poult recruitment all over is just really low and it's yeah kind of alarming i mean i like turkeys and i like turkey hunting and i want to be able to do it 25 years from now <laughs> absolutely yeah i want to be able to take my kids and grandkids and all that and i think that's so if we got to limit ourselves to one bird i can i can live with that i think so absolutely all right. Well, you know, uh, we are in the middle of deer season, so I thought maybe, you know, we've talked turkeys with you before and kind of heard some other stories, but I thought we could dive into some other your some of your deer hunting stories and maybe some other, I don't know, I think you've been hog hunting and some of those sorts of things. So uh, yeah. what other what other experiences have you had there, Anthony? Absolutely. Well, 
last year was a really rough year for me. I had a few close calls. I had a miss. I had a bad shot that I made and I was having a lot of trouble. And it was interesting because my bow for the longest time, the cable was biting in or the, the cam was biting into the cable on my bow. And it, it just seemed really odd. If I was pulling back into the back wall of my bowstring, it would send my shots high left. Mm. And I could not figure it out. I had it into the bow shop. They put new cables on it, reserved it, figured it out. And then I was looking at my the bow. I had changed the modules out on it and I hadn't changed the, the cam stock. And so my cam was rotating back further than it was supposed to be. And it was biting into my cable, ruining mm -hmm. my cables. And then it was throwing my shots off too. So I had a doe that I hit high in the shoulders, did not find her. She showed up on camera like a day or two later back in the same food plot. She was doing fine. She had bloodstained shoulders, but she was out feeding. And then the next day she was out again. Um, I had a little buck here in Georgia that I'm, I just nicked him a little bit. Was not a lethal hit. Um, just was not a good year. Had one that I missed with my rifle too. And so I was in Pennsylvania. I had moved down um, last year and I hadn't gotten my driver's license changed in time. So I had to wait till late into the Georgia hunting season till I could get a resident license a lot of my family them and it was late season up there rifle season had closed it was late archery and flintlock and I decided I had brought my flintlock with me I decided to go out to see if I could get something mm. so that's challenging I had a, it is it is and I had never killed anything with a flintlock before um my wife hunted with me a lot last season, but this particular day when I finally was able to make it happen, she unfortunately wasn't with me. She chose to sleep in that day. <laughs> so I wasn't able to share the moment with her, but yeah, my friend has a food plot that he plants every year and it's right on a ridge that is heavily wooded on each side. There's lots of mature timber and he's just kind of got this food plot settled right in there and has lots of deer on it. He told me I was welcome to hunt it. So I went out in the morning and <laughs> he asked me, he said he, he hopes I can shoot an old doe because he said there's some doe in there that the way he describes them, they come into the food plot and they just look. It is a spot that's been hunted a fair amount. So he was hoping I could take one of those does out. Yeah. So I got in in the morning got in fairly early settled down in the blind and i'm waiting daylight comes on me and the woods is starting to wake up and a little while later i see movement on the far end of the food plot and there were some deer coming in some does there was one really nice size one came in and she kind of turned off to my right and walked along the end of the food plot and looked like she was gonna leave and i had about a 60 yard shot but I felt pretty good about it. I cocked my muzzleloader and put the sights on her and squeezed it off. And man, there was so much smoke. <laughs> I couldn't tell <laughs> what happened. Like 
I didn't know if I hit her. I didn't know where she went. She just disappeared in that cloud of smoke. And when that's the smoke the, cleared, she was nowhere to be seen. <laughs> that's the fun of muzzleloader hunting, man. It's a mystery. Like you don't know what really just happened until the smoke clears. <laughs> I know. I know. And with archery and rifle, I'm always looking for the reaction. You know, I, I squeeze the shot off and then I look, what does the deer do? Where is the hit? But yeah, with the muzzleloader, you don't have that luxury all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was pretty pumped. I was feeling like it was good. I felt like I was real smooth. Just pulled that shot off. You know, with a flintlock, you've got a big flash of fire in your face. And it's pretty easy to flinch. But I didn't feel like I had. So I gave it a little bit of time and then walked out there. And I walked to where she had been standing when I shot. And there was a little bit of blood there. It was really dark red blood. And there wasn't a whole lot of it. So I was like, well, I don't know. I'll give her a little bit of time. So I turned around and I'm walking back to the blind and I had walked maybe, I don't know, six yards and something on the ground caught my eye and I looked down and there was my bullet. My bullet was closer to where I was at than where the deer was standing. Oh, wow. And I was like, man, that is really, really weird. So I picked it up and I thought it had to bounce out of something. I couldn't imagine that it bounced off of the deer. So I went and I'm looking back and there's like a four inch tree right behind where she had been standing. And there was a perfect splat mark right in the tree. So the bullet passed through the deer, hit the tree and bounced back. No way. Wow. That's crazy, man. (laughs) It was, it was. So I went down then I, I told my friend who had let me hunt in the food plot. I told him that I had shot something. So he said he'd come up and help me track it. So we went up and there really was not a whole lot of blood. It was really dark blood. We had a a bit of a blood trail we were able to follow and I just wasn't sure. And he said, yeah, he said, you hit it with, with 50 caliber muzzler. He said, I'm pretty sure you got her. And she's probably down. Well, we hadn't gone, but maybe 60 yards or something. And found a spot where she had stood for a bit and there was a lot more blood it looked like she had staggered around a bit and then after that the blood trail just got a a lot heavier she really opened up and then we found her I think it was maybe 120 140 yards she had went total and here I had sender punched the liver so it was a lethal hit but she was able to go a little ways so that was exciting yeah a nice way to end my season Man, that's a. I've I watched Meat Eater. They did an episode on hunting in PA with Flintlock and just all the stuff that goes. Like I have a muzzleloader, and I'm you know there's a little bit to like a modern muzzleloader that there's some stuff where sometimes your cap doesn't go off if a little water gets in, or there's a little some issues. But that that Flintlock, that's a whole different level of primitive. Like that's there's just so much that has to go right in order for that to work. So that's a major accomplishment, man. It is. It was it was a blessing. I was very thrilled to have made it happen. So you get your flintlock uh, deer down. Uh, how'd the rest of the season go? Well, that was pretty much it. I think um, last day or second to last day here, I was hunting a creek bottom, and I had some deer that I jumped. I was actually just sneaking down through the creek, walking in the creek, and I jumped some deer pretty close that were bedded away from me. They didn't win me, and they weren't sure what I was, and I had one circle back around. But I was standing in the center of the creek, um, just taking a standing shot with nothing to nothing to lean up on. I'm not just 
a super steady guy. So if yeah. I've got something that I can lean up against, shooting sticks or anything like that, I can make a pretty good shot. But if I'm free-handed, I'm not that great. I can and, relate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I shot and I found a little bit of white belly hair and that was it. No blood trail, no gut material or anything. So I think I just, just grazed her and yeah, that was how it ended. <laughs> but this year was a whole lot better. Oh, okay. Let's get into it. Uh, what what went down in 2021 here? Well, for this year, I decided I wanted to try saddle hunting. I've been listening to guys, listening to you on the podcast and um, the hunting public on YouTube. They use saddles. And I was like, man, I think it would just be so nice. I've got this little old climber that's, it's pretty rickety. It's fairly heavy it's loud it's got square metal tubing that bolts you put bolts down through it and when you're in the woods and you've got bolt threads going through square metal tubing that makes just a ton of noise mm -hmm. and it's really narrow so when i stand up i have to turn sideways or my hips catch and then my top piece is wanting to fall down so it was time for an upgrade <laughs> it sounds <laughs> I like i'm actually <laughs> looking for one yeah, <laughs> I was actually looking for one for my little brother, too. Wanted to get one for his birthday. And me and two of my brother-in-laws and a friend went together and did that for him, then got him an H2 slingshot, which he actually shot his first deer out of this year, too. Oh, cool. But I found a tethered mandis online for $125. And yeah. so I purchased that and... I was very excited about getting into it. I decided I was going to climb SRT. I watched a video on YouTube showing how to SRT climb, and it just looked so slick. Yeah, so, so exp explain that Explain that a little bit. So if those of us that haven't tried that, and I think I know what it is, but some of our listeners maybe, uh, what's a SRT? Describe that if you can. SRT stands for single rope technique. So what you have to do is throw a rope up in the tree, um, what I would do is I would throw a small line up in the tree over a branch, and then I would tie my main rope, my climbing rope, to the small rope, pull it up over, and then cinch it tight around the main trunk. So then you use a hand ascender and a belay device, and you essentially just walk up the rope up the tree. Oh, wow. Sounds so nice in theory. And the video of the guy who did it online, he made it look so smooth. Oh, yeah. So I was... I was very excited about this, but a couple weeks into the season, after having my ropes tangled in trees and my throw weight caught up in the tree and having thrown so many times trying to get my rope up in the tree in the dark, I figured, you know what? It's not worth it. <laughs> so yeah. I switched to climbing with one stick and man, that has made it so much better. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. So yeah. I've, I've seen those yeah. videos of those guys throwing those ropes up in and i just can't like i can't fathom being able to do that very well i mean a lot of places where i hunt there's just so many limbs and so much to navigate and i, I don't know that that's intimidating to me but what you just mentioned <laughs> uh, we'll have like a little saddle segment here what you just mentioned like going one stick now that has some that's piqued my interest a lot so talk real quick before you get into your story like how how does the one stick work how can you get up a tree with one stick so with the one stick, I put my tether around the tree as high as I can reach. And then I'm clipped in with my saddle. And then I put my stick 
up right underneath the rope, right underneath my tether. I fasten my stick and I have a one step aider. It's actually two step, but I rarely use the two steps. I usually just use one. I have that fastened to the bottom of my stick. So when okay. my stick is fastened up about head height, I've got to step down low enough that I can step into it. So I step into my aider, climb onto the bottom of my stick. And at that point, I start working my tether rope up about as high as I can reach. And then I climb onto the top of my stick, put my tether rope all the way up again, as far as I can reach again. And then I pull up the slack in my saddle, bend down, grab my stick and put it up again, right underneath the rope. Okay. So if you have an SRT system where you have branches and trees that it works out, it's actually can be quicker to climb SRT than to climb with a single stick. But I find when you're climbing with a single stick, it's, I would say as fast as using a climbing stand. It's really okay. not that slow. Now, the first time you try it, it'll take a while. <laughs> but yeah. once you get the hang of things, it goes pretty slick. Yeah. That's that's something I've thought, man, if I could eliminate three, like I, right now, this season, I use some lone wolf sticks and I use four of them. And, and, you know, they're lightweight and they're nice, but it's just like, if I could eliminate three sticks and just carry one stick into the woods and climb a tree and come back down, that would be pretty awesome. Uh, so that's something oh, maybe yeah. for, for 2022, I might have to look into. So Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So you get into one stick and kind of bring us through your season and how you got your, your first deer in the saddle. Yeah, so I started out, um, I had trail cameras in on a piece of public land. It's kind of down in a swamp, but it's a high, long-running ridge in the swamp. And it's right along the side of the creek. So I think the creek was kind of funneling movement. I had cameras in there, and I, if I remember correctly, I was getting somewhere around averaging 120 pictures a week. So oh, it was a really good spot. I had a fair amount of deer, a good amount of hogs, and some really nice bucks in there. So I was very excited about it. I went in there, I think, five weeks early and preset some some of those small rope lines so that I could pull my big rope up with. And then I just got out and stayed out of there. So I was super excited. Opening day, I went in there and I climbed my tree. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to do an all day sit because I feel like it's just a matter of time. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. So I got in there and sat for a while and I was noticing like my saddle was not that comfortable. And <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was doing yet. I had my mm -hmm. tether rope way too high and it oh, was yeah. pinching me. It was like giving me a wedgie and pinching my hips my legs are falling asleep it's cutting off circulation and it was like this is awful I, I i heard so many guys saying how saddles are so comfortable and you can just get in all <laughs> kinds of positions and lean and kneel and sit and i was not feeling any of that i was just trying to keep my legs from falling asleep and i'm just shifting my weight side to side on my platform and that's not good because then i'm moving in the tree and it was a mess. And I ended the day without seeing anything. I got down, pulled my trail camera card and the spot had completely died. There was hardly any animals moving through there anymore. I think part of the reason was we hadn't had much rain at all. And so the Creek had dried up. So the Creek wasn't funneling movement anymore. 
and also other areas in the swamp had dried too. So I think there was just so much more places that the deer could access. Right. So they weren't using that for a travel corridor anymore. So that was disappointing. And yeah, the saddle hunt was disappointing. So I, got I can relate, man. Totally. <laughs> Those first few saddle hunts, you're like, why did I buy this thing? These people lied. It's I know. <laughs> and then you, you start to mess with it a little bit. And you, I mean, you, where you put that tether and then you mess with your bridge length and all of a sudden you're like, Hey, you know, it's actually, it, it can become semi-comfortable. I still don't, I mean, is it as comfortable as a, uh, you know, a, like a real big summit Viper climber, probably not, but I mean, no. it's, yeah, but it becomes, you figure out how to make it better, you know? Right. And once you figure it out, the, the comfort thing is minimal and what you trade off with it, with the climbing stand for mobility, being able to shoot from all kinds of angles, it's totally worth it. Like I'm not going back to a climbing stand. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Not, I mean, I so, sold mine sold mine to get my saddle. I was basically cutting ties. I'm like, I'm going in 100%. I'm selling this climber so that there's no chance I ever come back to it. Like, and so that's, wow. that's what, I, yeah, I, I jumped in. So. Yeah. <laughs> I still have mine. I figured if I have a buddy that wants to hunt with me and needs something, they can use that. Yeah. Not not that I, not that I normally try to give my friends the inferior product, but <laughs> if you're, if you're not I, used to hunting out of the saddle, it's, yeah. it is, it is a little tough. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I got home after that hunt and I just started studying online. Like what can I do to make my saddle comfortable? And a big thing I was seeing was tether height. And so I started keeping my tether about chest to neck level on me and that made a huge difference in the pressure points and everything it became a lot more comfortable so i was really really disappointed with the public land i bounced around a couple more places on that property and i put in 40 hours before no it was it was 30 some 30 some hours before i finally and it was 40 hours before I shot anything. It was bad. <laughs> so yeah. I had a piece of, of private land that I had permission to hunt on. And I just about given up on the public land. So this private land, this private piece was crop fields up on top of a hill. And then there was a big clear cut around it. And then a creek bottom right down on the property line. And this place has more deer than I've ever seen here in this area. And so I was really excited about it. Um, I went in there, set my stuff up in there, did some scouting. I put some corn out and the critters cleaned it up real quick. There's hogs and, and deer in there and it didn't take them long. They just cleaned it up. So I was really, really excited about this place, especially after just not getting anything on the public land. Mm -hmm. So I went in there, um, hunted out of my saddle on Saturday morning. I saw two coyotes and a deer out of range. And then I went back in. I think I left some of my stuff in the tree and I went back in the following week. I believe it was, I did an evening hunt and I tried to get in real quietly. When you're going through a thick clear cut, it's basically impossible to be totally silent but mm -hmm. the thing i had going for me is the tree that i had picked out in the creek bottom was kind of like a triple trunk tree 
and it was right at the base or there was a creek flowing right at the base of it and we had just had some rains the creek was a little high making a lot of noise so that was really great for cover noise so i snuck in there for an evening hunt i climbed up my tree and so it's three trunks right together and then there's a tree right beside it that had halfway blown over it wasn't laying down on the ground it was just leaning really really hard so at the height I was at, it wasn't super high, but I had that right below me, that leaning trunk, and I could put my foot out on that trunk. It was that close. I figured that would help to break up my outline. So I climbed my tree, got all hooked in, and I pulled my phone out of my pocket, messaged my wife. I said, hey, I'm safely in my tree, you know, and um, put my phone back in my pocket, looked up, and it was a deer. It just stood up. It was I think about 40 yards away. So I had gotten in quietly enough that I didn't spook it out, which really surprised me because you could do that if it's totally dark outside, but to do that in the daytime, get up in your tree without blowing a deer out 40 yards away. To this day, I really feel like God wanted me to have that deer. My wife, she, she, she thanks me for hunting and providing meat, but the time away really does it's it's difficult for her yeah. to have me gone all evening sometimes all morning and sometimes even all day you know she she she's ready for it to be over <laughs> uh, yep i understand that too <laughs> to go to go 40 hours without shooting anything it was time to get something yeah so this deer stood up and started making its way toward me and it turned broadside put its head in some saplings and was just browsing and I ranged it at 32 yards, wide open. I could have made the shot, but I was like, eh, I feel like it's going to come a little closer. And at that point, I wasn't totally convinced that I would shoot it yet. I saw it with a little buck, which here in Georgia, we can shoot two bucks. Um, one has antler restrictions, has to have four points on one side, and one does not. So it was a legal deer for me to shoot. And as it was coming in, I made up my mind. I was like, you know what? I've been hunting a long time. I'm going to shoot this deer. So it came down through to the creek and started working its way towards me. And now it's in the wide open, quartering towards me about, I don't know, 20 yards. And it works into probably eight yards. So it's close. I'm only about 14 feet up in the tree, maybe. So it's coming and it's going to walk under this trunk of the tree leaning out beside me. So I wait. And when it steps right underneath that trunk, I drew my bow. Well, don't you know, the thing just stops underneath the tree and all I can see is its nose sticking out. So I'm holding it full, full draw and the thing is just chilling. It's just there chewing its cud, standing there, just chewing. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And after a bit, I start shaking and my arm's getting tired. And I'm like, I've got to let down. But this thing's only like eight yards from me <laughs> and I'm not very high. So I just tried as quietly as I could to let down and I got it down and the thing's standing there. So I thought as soon as it steps out, I'm going to try to stop it and draw again because I had an opening and it started moving and it moved quickly. <laughs> and I drew my boat right as it stepped into like right under an overhanging branch and the adrenaline was flowing. I was super excited. It was very close and there was just some really, really small stuff in the way. And 
looking back, I should have never taken the shot. I'm not proud that I took the shot, but I thought I can tuck it in there. So I put the pin there and I fingered the trigger on my release and let it go. And I heard it hit pretty hard and the thing took off and was scrambling as it was running, kind of stumbling. So I was like, well, I know I hit it, but I don't know where I hit it. So I gave it a little bit of time. It was a damp, rainy evening, and there was more rain coming, so I knew I couldn't give it long. I think I gave it about a half hour, and I decided to get down and go to the point of impact and see what I could find. So I got down out of my tree. I crossed the creek, and I don't have very far to where I shot it. You know, I'm just walking up just real slowly, and I heard something in the, in the brush, and it was like a blowing sound. I'm not sure if you've ever heard a hog blow but it's like a it's not a a sharp snort like a deer yeah but it's just like and i i I have yet to figure out exactly what it means because it's not really a danger sound maybe it's just a normal sound i don't know but i've heard if a hog growls at you which i've witnessed that as well that's the same as a deer snort basically (laughs) if they growl at you it's all over yeah but i heard this this blowing sound and I heard just crashing around and I looked up and here's a small herd of hogs coming at me. It was a couple adults and then a whole bunch of little tiny babies. So I had my 22 Magnum revolver on me and I'd really been hoping that I could shoot a hog with my revolver. So I knelt down and I'm in the wide open, but it is getting dark and these hogs come through and big one come out and stopped facing me at I would say it was probably about 12 yards, but let me tell you, the adrenaline was flowing and I was shaking and I'm like holding my, my revolver out, trying to get a solid sight picture on his head. And <laughs> I'm weaving all around back and forth. And I, I pulled the trigger and I missed, they took off running. Oh man. So I felt a little bummed about that, but I did have a buck that I needed to go track. So I went over to where he had been standing when I shot and I found the arrow laying right there and there was only blood for about, I don't know, maybe six inches up the arrow, up the shaft. And that was it. And my bow is a pretty, pretty fast bow. I'm shooting. I think that bow's rated 350 foot per second. I'm pulling 70 pounds, shooting a 340 spine arrow and with a really big broadhead, I didn't know why I didn't have much blood on the arrow. Mm. So I started walking, looking. The blood trail was decent. It wasn't just super heavy, but it was definitely followable. And there were no bubbles in the blood. So I was like, man, it's not good. I don't think I got lungs. And I was fearing that maybe it was just a flesh wound. So I, I followed this thing and followed this thing. And it went and went and went. Went into some extremely thick stuff and then just started winding around. And I was following it in there and I started praying. I was just praying that God would let me have this deer if it was his will, because I had hunted so long and hard. And now I had made a shot that I'm kind of regretting taking. It's like, man, I don't, I don't know if I did what was best. And, you know, there's so many questions going through your mind. You're doubting yourself. And so I was just really praying that God would help me find this deer. And finally I looked ahead and right there a few yards away, there it was. I couldn't see it previously because of how thick it was. But there he was laying there, a little four point, and there was no <laughs> there was no wound on the side that was up. So I turned it over 
and the opposite shoulder, the shoulder that was towards me was broken. It hit down low, broken the, le- the leg bone completely and sliced through the brisket. So I think oh, okay. what happened is it cut the blood veins running down in the leg. It was, it was incredibly lucky. Yeah. God wanted me to have that deer because it did not, <laughs> the arrow did not end to the vitals. So then I had a 640 yard drag back to the car. I, I marked it out on Onyx later with the line, drawing a line to figure out about the route I took. And I figured it was 640 yards through the creek, through that thick, clear cut. By the time I got it out to the car, I was whooped. I think it was about 10 o'clock at night till I finally got it out. And at that point, I was very, very glad that I didn't have to go back in for a hog. <laughs> oh, I bet. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So the miss was actually kind of a blessing. Yes, it was. <laughs> so it was just a, a huge feeling of accomplishment. I've been hunting for, oh man, I don't know, 10 years, more than that, 12 years. And I had never shot a buck. So though it was a small buck, it was my first buck. I did it with my bow and it was my first saddle deer. So it oh, felt that's like- pretty cool a great big accomplishment (laughs) that's awesome do you feel like the saddle like do you you feel like it was a help to you or just kind of like another tool or like on that particular hunt do you feel like it would like would have gone differently had you been in in your climber or was it just kind of one of those things was like yeah it worked out it probably would have worked out either way what's your thoughts on that i would say it was definitely a help because i could position myself with the tree in front of me with a climbing stand, you don't do that. And then you're so much more exposed. So with how I was setting in this trunk, I mean, this tree, triple trunk tree, and then the one leaning out in front of me, I was able to be tucked back in there. And I'm sure that's what helped me stay concealed because the deer was so close. Had I been in a climbing stand, I think he probably would have picked me out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how i feel too i think the thing is i like with a saddle um i still what i'm learning over the last couple hunts is that the the leaves have gone off and i've gotten a little lax and like sometimes like because i'm behind a tree and i don't get busted as much much i've been moving a little bit more and i've gotten busted just like not but from wind but from deer seeing me like moving still a little too much in my saddle so that's one of the things i've had to remind myself like just because you got a tree in front of you doesn't mean that a deer off to your right or left or behind you isn't going to pick you out if you're sitting there messing on your phone or moving your hand or the last time i was putting a hat on and all of a sudden a deer starts blowing at me so so that's kind of been a reminder but i will say this i get busted way less in a saddle than i did whenever i was hanging on the front of the tree what you know i think it's all about cover and all that stuff and for me the saddle is not the end all but i tell you i love swinging in a saddle and, and shooting a deer out of them it's just enjoyable oh, there's just yeah. something different about it i like that i don't know it's kind of like um i'm kind of weird but I, I used to really like scaring people I like hiding behind something and waiting and jumping out that's how i kind of feel <laughs> on the saddle a little bit like i'm not out on the yeah. front like slowly having to stand up and hoping i don't get spotted i'm behind the tree and that doe that I shot a few weeks ago is like, I just kind of slid out real quick and she came to my left and it was just perfect, you know? And that's, yeah. I don't know. It's just a neat tool to have in your arsenal. I think. If you look at how you hang in the saddle, it's really much like how a branch grows out of the tree. You've got your feet down and you're leaning back. 
So I think it's a whole lot more of a natural form and shape to be in a tree too. I mean, a climbing stand, you just look like a blob grown on the side of God. It look terribly unnatural anyways. Yeah. Might not be yeah. for everyone, but yeah. yeah. No, that, I never thought about that. That's true. That's cool. Well, man, that's awesome. I mean, you've had two cool experiences shooting the deer with a uh, flintlock and then getting one out of the saddle this year. Uh, I kind of wanted to jump in real quick. I don't know. You, you mentioned hogs, and I know there's a lot of hogs in Georgia, and that's something I've never done. So you got any other hog stories to kind of wrap us up with? Yeah, I do. Um, hogs are something that I've had a lot of fun with. Um, it's a lot different from the type of hunting I'm used to. and I'm learning that they've got a nose like nothing else. You think a deer's nose is good. Well, a hog will pick you out a whole lot quicker than a deer will. So it's, it's been a learning curve, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, I started hog hunting down here primarily on that piece of public land that I had high hopes for deer hunting. The place has a lot of hogs. And so um, May... I think May 16th to the 31st, that piece of public opens up a two-week hog hunting season with rifles. Um, during the rest of any season, you can hunt them with the weapons for whatever else is in season. So in turkey season, we're allowed to use shotguns, bows, and muzzleloaders. So you can hunt hogs in there with shotgun, bow, or muzzleloader, but you can't do rifle. Okay. So in May, they have a two-week coyote and hog season with rifle. So I had went in there and poked around a bit. Didn't have just a whole lot of success. There was more pressure in there than I thought there would be. There were guys in there running dogs and stuff. And um, I had just kind of given it up. I was in there a few times. Didn't nothing happen. So I just kind of given it up. Figured that the hogs are too pressured, and that's something too. I'm finding hogs do not respond well to pressure. So it was, I think, the last week of that season. And my wife and I were going to go in to check trail cameras. And I brought my dog with. I figured I'll just let my dog run. By the way, that's a new addition. I picked the dog up along the road, just a little tiny puppy. It's half lab, half pit bull. And she loves retrieving. So for anyone who, is list who listened to the other episode when I was on, hopefully this year when I go duck hunting, I won't have to strip my pants off to wade out in the slough to pick up my ducks. I'm hoping my dog will do that for me this, this year. <laughs> That'll be an improvement. Yeah, absolutely. So I had my dog with me and we were going to walk in, check trail camera picks. And my wife says, do you want to bring the gun just in case? Cause I have this rifle that I keep in the car because we live back in the country and sometimes just driving to work and back, you'll see coyotes or hogs out in the fields. So I just have this gun sitting back there she said, do you want to bring it with just in case? I was like, ah, we're not going to see any hogs. You know, we're going to be making noise. I've got the dog with me. It's like, yeah, okay, I guess, whatever. So I'm carrying the gun. We're walking back through. It's a bold action, savage axis, 223. We're walking back through, and I'm just marching along, and all of a sudden some movement down in the creek bottom caught my eye. And I just turned my head, and right there is a herd of hogs. I... I, I didn't count them because I got focused in on one and pulled my rifle up. They were about 40 yards away. But there again, the wind was in our favor. And when they're rooting and when they're eating, I'm finding if the wind is right, 
you can get away with a lot of noise and a lot of movement if they're if they're preoccupied and the wind's right. And that's what they were. I mean, I had my dog running right beside me, and I was afraid the dog was going to see the pigs and start yapping. So I quick pulled my gun up, and there was a small one standing broadside to me, and then right behind that one was a bigger one that was quartering towards me. So I put my crosshairs on the biggest one's head and squeezed the trigger, and it collapsed, and pigs went running everywhere. It was like the creek bottom erupted. My wife says she thinks there were between two and three dozen hogs. They were just running pell-mell. They didn't know where the shot came from. So we had some that there was one hog ran within 10 yards of us. He just run. (laughs) But I had one hog on the ground. I've got a bolt action rifle, so I can't sling lead at him. And I I didn't even try taking another shot. I was like... Yeah, it felt pretty neat to finally have a hog. So (laughs) I went down there. It was a sow. I think she was probably about 125, 130 pounds. So just the perfect eating size. But I didn't have anything with me. I didn't have gloves. I didn't have a knife to gut her with. So I grabbed her by the leg, drug her over to the car. And this place is, I don't know, almost half an hour drive from our place. And I told my wife, you know, it's 80 degrees out, so I've got to do something with this hog. I could drag it into the into the swamp where it'd be in water and stay cool while we run home and get stuff. But I have seen a, I don't know, six, eight foot alligator in there, and he might want my hog too if I do that. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I really felt like I needed to bring it home. So what we did is we cut some palmettos and laid them in the trunk and then i hoisted that hog in the trunk on top of the palmettos and brought him home in our ford focus (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) we hung him up and we had fresh pork oh man that's awesome that was a blessing and it was a lot of fun but actually the one i shot with my bow last week was that that topped it all that was (laughs) a lot more intense and a lot more fun Oh, cool. Tell us about that, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So actually the piece of private land that I had been hunting where I shot my little buck, it's a place that my landlord farms and his son hunted it a good bit. Well, after I shot my buck, it was maybe, uh, I don't know, two weeks later or something. I got a phone call from him and he said, Hey, he said, I've got bad news. He said, we lost permission to hunt on that, that farm. He said, the landowner has someone else that they want to allow to hunt. So they asked us not to hunt anymore. So I was like, bummer. That's, that's the best place I've found around here to hunt. And I really don't know where to go. So I had my brother, my younger brother, Andrew, he's 14. I had bought plane tickets to fly him down to hunt with me because a non-resident license is only $50 for a youth. And so I had high hopes of taking him in there, putting him on some good deer hunting. And now I lost that all. I didn't know what to do or where to go. And my wife's grandfather sent me a message. Um, It was just a couple days after I lost permission to hunt that place. He sent me a message and he said, hey, Mr. Waters, who is a guy who he works for, he said, he's wondering when you can come over and hunt some hogs. So I was like, well, I'll come over. I mean, as soon as I can, (laughs) let me know what works for you. I want to go meet the man. 
And Mr. Waters is a lawyer in the area who's kind of a bit of a hobby farmer, but he doesn't have just a whole lot of time for it. So he has cows and my wife's grandfather, who's been a farmer all his life, he basically runs the farm for Mr. Waters. So I went in there and he was able to show me around where the hog damage was. And he said, by the way, he said, if you see any deer, you shoot them too. He said, cause we've got too many deer around here. So I was like, well, that's nice. I, I finally got another place. Yeah. So yeah. He, he told me that there was a man from our church by the name of Sam. And he said, Sam has permission to hunt this place as well. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I, you know, if this is Sam's exclusive spot, I don't want to be in there messing things up for him. So I messaged him right away. I'm like, hey, Sam, just got permission to hog hunt one of your farms wondering, you know, um, where you hunt it. I don't want to interfere with anything you're doing. And he was really good about it. And the guy's been really nice. We've hunted together and really hit it off. But he put a feeder up back in there. It's, it's crop fields and then it's clear cut that was clear cut maybe, I don't know, two years ago or something. So it's really thick, but it's, it's not super tall stuff. And there's a creek bottom in there and the hogs just love being in there. So we figured out our best way to probably be most effective and help the farmer out is if we hunt the hogs with rifles in the fields where they're doing the damage. And then if we can make a spot where we can just kind of subtly sneak in and shoot them in the clear cut with our bows without scaring them all out, that'll probably be better because hogs do not like gunshots in their core areas. So we put the feeder up and he also got some motion activated green lights that he put up around the feeder. And then I put up a trail camera. So I was able to keep tabs on when they were coming and I was really excited about it. This place is uh, the feeder was maybe 80 yards back in off the edge of the field. There's some heavy trails in there. We saw a whole bunch of tracks and I put my camera up and I started getting hogs. And something I'm finding with hogs is if you have a food source, they'll hit it pretty predictably and they're, they're easier to predict than deer. You can pattern them a little bit better with time and everything. So I checked my camera on Wednesday the hogs had, had broken the feeder previously and all the corn dumped out. And then we were in there trying to repair it. And it seemed like with all of our scent in there and everything, we kind of bumped them out for a while. So I had my camera in there. I was hoping that they would show up soon again. I pulled the camera card Wednesday and they had been in, I think, Sunday, no, Saturday. And then Monday and Tuesday, they had been in in the evenings between like 630 and 730. So Wednesday, we had a men's meeting at church, but I told my wife, I said, man, I really feel like on the way to church, I need to slip in over there at the farm and head down in. The wind's going to be right. I can access from the field and sneak down in there and see if they're there. So I took my bow along to men's meeting and my handgun because it's me by myself and there's some big hogs in there. It's, it's hard to tell from trail camera images at, at, in the dark, but some of them their backs are coming up about even with the bottom of the feeder and i'm guessing they could be pushing 300 pounds so hunting them with my bow i wanted to have my handgun on me too so and this isn't this isn't my 22 magnum handgun this is a 45 yeah <laughs> so i drove in there um, parked my car in the field walked down through 
and I decided I was going to stand at the edge of the field. There's a logging road that goes back to the feeder. So I can see straight down the logging road to the feeder, about 80 yards. And I figured, you know what? I'm just going to hang back. I don't want to get in there too close right away. And if I see the lights coming on, then I'll know the hogs are there. So I'm waiting. It's dark. And I hadn't been standing there very long. And I heard one blow like that again, heard him grunt. So I started creeping down in. Sure enough, before long, I could see the outline of, of a big hog there at the feeder just crunching away on corn. I could hear it crunching, smacking its lips, just being a pig. And so I'm sneaking up through. I've got a red flashlight, and I'm just trying to be super quiet. It's a night without much wind. It's very, very quiet around me, and so I'm just trying to be really, really silent in my approach. Thankfully, with it being clear cut, there's not a lot of big mature trees in there anymore. So there's not just a whole lot of crunchy leaf cover. So I was able to sneak in pretty quietly. I got in as close as I dared, just 25 yards. And I had my sight light lit up. So my pins had lights and only one of the feeder lights was coming on. And it was on the opposite side of the hog shining towards the hog and towards me. So all I have is a silhouette, which I feel like I feel like I can do this, but it's not lit up just quite as bright as I would like. So I ranged it, took my rangefinder and I ranged the hog and it was so dark I could not see anything on my rangefinder. So I put the center of the rangefinder on the hog, pushed the button and then I tipped the rangefinder up to the light so that I could see how far away it was. Yeah, 25 yards. So I'm like, yeah, this is it. And then about that time it spun the hog's and took off a few steps and I was like oh man I'll bet I just spooked it out of here I thought maybe my wind swirled or something but then it settled back down came back in and started feeding again so it's broadside 25 yards I clip on my release I draw and anchor and I put my pins on it I found the front leg followed it up settled in there and I let the arrow fly and you know normally when you hit a hog, a deer, or anything in the chest, there's a solid thump. Well, I didn't hear any of, any of that. It wasn't just a really loud sound at all. It was more of a quiet just shoop. And that hog turned and just frantically scrambled away, um, running up through the brush. Then it looped around and started crashing back down towards me. So I quickly put my bow down. I whipped my handgun out. I chamber around. And I'm holding the flashlight in one hand, my handgun in the other hand, and I'm just expecting this thing to come at me. And then everything got quiet, and I heard it really wheezing, just like, ah, ah, ah. and then everything got totally quiet. So I picked up my bow, turned around, snuck out, and went to men's meeting. And let me tell you, that was the longest two and a half hour meeting I've ever sat through. <laughs> I, I sat there. I fidgeted and I squirmed and there were so many thoughts racing through my mind. It's like, what happened? I don't have lighted knocks on my arrows and I'm shooting at a dark silhouette. So I have no idea where I hit. I felt like I was pretty good with, with having my anchor point solid. I thought I was good and steady. I had my pins right where they were supposed to be, but man, I just don't know. And my friend Sam was also there in that meeting and he agreed to go with me and um, track the hog after the meeting so finally the meeting got over and Sam was ready to go and his father was also there and he said he wanted to come too 
So the three of us headed over to the farm, went down in. We got to where the hog had been standing at the feeder, and there was no arrow and no blood. And right away, I'm like, oh, man, what happened? Now, hogs, with all the fat that's on them, sometimes the wound will close up, and they won't leave just a whole lot of the blood trail. Yeah. So we started our way up in the direction that it had gone, and we, we found blood. And it was pretty decent blood. So we, we were walking around, we got to the place where it had really scrambled around and then made the loop over into the other side to come and where it started coming towards me. It actually crossed the logging road. And right on the edge of the logging road, we found the arrow and the arrow was completely covered in blood. Like that's the most blood I've ever seen on an arrow. And after that, after we found the arrow, it looked as though someone had just dumped a bucket of blood. There was so much blood. We got to where I had last heard the hog and she was laying right there about 150 pound sow. And what happened, I, I would love to know if, if I just didn't hit quite where I was aiming or if she moved when she heard the bow, because I know pigs are quick too. And sometimes they'll duck arrows, they'll move. I hit front further, a few inches further than where I was aiming. So her shoulder towards me, her leg was back and it sliced right in the front of that, right at the base of her neck. The opposite leg was forward and it hit the bone and shattered the opposite leg. Hmm. But what it did when it went through the bottom of the neck, it sliced open all those blood veins, the jugular and whatever, everything that runs down there to the heart, it sliced the windpipe. So while she was running right at first, the arrow was still sticking inside of her and it was keeping some of those veins closed but after the arrow fell out that's why it looks like someone had dumped a bucket of blood because she was literally bleeding like a stuck pig <laughs> so, <laughs> it was amazing sam drug her out for me and I, I felt a little bad about that i thanked him i said you wouldn't have had to drag my pig he said oh that's what i came here for and then they held the lights while i gutted her oh, so, that's cool <clears throat> the meeting at church had gotten late and till i got home i got her hung up skinned and till i got to bed it was 2 30 in the morning so it was crazy but it was it was a lot of fun and i'm hoping to do it again <laughs> that's awesome man that's cool that sounds like a lot of fun being on hunts like that and i, I don't know just something neat about being out there at different times of the day and um chasing after those pigs i think that's something i want to try sometime that's sweet <laughs> so absolutely well, Come Anthony, on down. I'll take you out. Yeah, man. I was going to ask you. So, what's what's next for you guys? What do you got uh, coming up? Are you still in the deer? I mean, we planning for next year. What's what's kind of the the game plan? Yeah, well, deer season wraps up January 9th. Um, my brother did come down and shot two deer off of that property where I shot the hog. So, I shot a deer with my rifle too. So, we've got two two deer from me, two deer from my brother, and then our neighbor boy gave us a deer too. So we've got five deer and one hog in the freezer. Nice. So I do not need to do any more deer hunting for ourselves. Um, my wife's great uncle, he does not hunt. He's an elderly man. He told me, he said, hey, if you shoot any deer that you don't need, he said he would be happy for it. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of still hunting for a deer for Uncle Dave. Um, we've been very busy with the holidays and everything. So I haven't been out just a whole lot, but I am hoping to get one more deer kind of toying around with seeing if I can get it with my flintlock. 
but I don't know. I think maybe I should just take my rifle out and just do it since that's not as difficult, but I will be after the hogs, um, on private land here in Georgia, you can go after hogs year round. So I'll keep up with those hogs. I talked to the landowner and he said, Hey, he said, what we're after is extinction. Now with feral hogs, extinction is not going to happen, but I told him I'll do my best. So (laughs) I'll be after them for a while. Um, it looks like God is opening up doors for our family to go to Africa. We were contacted by a mission and asked if we would consider coming and um, starting an outreach in an unreached tribe. So basically, we would be bringing the gospel to them and planting a church. So we've been praying about that, and we feel like that is what God is leading us to do. Um, oh, man. That, wow. that will likely mean a... 10 to 12 year commitment. Um, some of these things don't happen just overnight. What they're looking for what their objective is, is that we would go in and um, share the gospel and make disciples and then train up leaders. Yeah. So that, that is something that requires a lot of intensive work, but that's, that's what I'm here for. I mean, God has done so many miracles in my life and my life is his. I want to do all that I can for him. So it'll be, it'll be difficult to say goodbye to family and friends and hobbies and the things that I love and enjoy here. But this, the, the best and most fulfilling place that we can be is in the center of God's will. So we are excited about that. We're looking forward to that. Lord willing, we would be leaving in June for a two-year training period before we would actually be on the ground ourselves. Wow. So I think I'll be able to get turkey season in, but that'll probably (laughs) be it for a while. (laughs) Oh, man. Anthony, that's just, uh, first off, I just, hats off to you guys for being faithful to what you feel like God's calling you to. I know that that is, that's, I mean, that's, that's huge. I mean, stepping out there, but, um, doing, I mean, so you're talking about going to places where these there's tribes that like, they've, they've not been like hardly contacted. They've never heard the gospel. They've never heard Jesus's name mentioned period. None of that stuff. Right. That's so you're going to like some pretty remote places. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. And no, they were reached years and years ago by Islam. So they would, they would believe that Jesus existed. Most of them are Muslim. I I think statistically, if you look at the people group, um, they say they're like 2% Christian. So they do have a Bible translated into their language, but there are villages that are very remote that have never had the gospel. And those would be the villages that we would be going to. Wow. Wow, man. That's uh... a, That's huge. I love what you just said there a second ago. Like it can be hard. It can be challenging, but being right in the middle of God's will, that's the best place that you can be, man. That's, I think that's what, uh, (laughs) I think that's what we all need to search for is looking for what is God's will for my life and what is he calling me to do? How can I be a blessing to others? And that's, that's huge, man. That's, uh, that's pretty awesome. Absolutely. And when we look at what Jesus did for us, any sacrifice that we make, is so small in comparison for what he did. You oh, know, man. it's it's so easy to think, man, you know, 
be leaving comforts and air conditioning and amazing food and I'll be out here in these poor villages but Jesus left all the splendor of heaven and that's what Christmas is all about I mean he he came and left so much and came and not only lived amongst sinful men but died for all of us gave his life the son of God who knew no sin became sin for us and just what he did it's like you know what yeah, any sacrifice that I make is nothing in comparison. And it's really, it's really honestly a privilege to be able yeah. to do that for our king. And one day I believe, too, that we will be rewarded eternally for those things. Man, I am uh, got some chills, man. That's pretty awesome to think about. Because I was just sitting there thinking about the sacrifice you and you guys are about to make, you know, leaving – the good old US of A, leaving Georgia, leaving hog hunting and deer hunting and turkey hunting and just all the things that we just take for granted every day. And you're about to go into the middle of Africa and go to a completely different foreign country where it's going to be hard and challenging. But then you just said that so beautifully. Jesus leaves heaven, gives up kingdom, <laughs> gives up everything and comes down and is born in a stinking manger um, for us. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. It is. That's good stuff. It is. Now, if I have the time and if I'm able to, I would like to try to bring a bow over there because (laughs) there are some antelope and some warthogs and maybe, just maybe, I'll be able to get into some. (laughs) Absolutely, man. Well, I mean, it's been a few episodes since we had you on before, so maybe the next time we have you on, we can hear some African safari hunts, all right? (laughs) Hey, that'd be great. That's great. Well, Anthony, man, I'll be praying for you guys. And I'd encourage anybody on this podcast that uh, is a praying type, say a little prayer for Anthony as his family, as they make those decisions and figure those things out. That's a huge thing. That's a huge commitment, but it's um, just appreciate your faithfulness and even considering it and thinking about it. And that's, um, and if you do it, I mean, I just pray that God's going to move some mountains for you guys. That'd be awesome. Amen. Thank you. Well, buddy, I appreciate you coming on. It sounds like you've had some fun this season, and I love hearing those stories, and it's just uh, cool just the different ways that you've been able to get it done. And so I wish you a good rest of the season, whatever you have left, and uh, thanks for coming on the show again. We really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Travis. It's been a privilege. Don't know that there's a whole lot more that I can add to that. Just really good stories and just amazing to me, uh, Anthony and his wife's willingness just to surrender to God's will and and move their family, young family, over to Africa, potentially. And, you know, if you're like me, you think, man, that's just absolutely crazy. I don't know if I could do that. You know, and I think about moments in my life where I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I wasn't sure I could do foster care. I wasn't sure if I was cut out to be uh, Hattie's daddy. I wasn't sure if I could do any of those things, but... It seems like whenever God puts you or prompts you in those situations, He gives you enough to get through them, and um, He blesses you for taking those those steps of faith. Maybe you're not called though right now to do like something giant or big like that. Um, I have to think most of my life has not been like that. There's been parts where it's been big moments, but I think just every day of our lives, if you are a Christian, the Bible says that we are to pick up our cross daily and follow the Lord and and to be like Jesus. That's what he did. Every day he, he served people, healed people. He was tired and exhausted like us and get frustrated with people, but yet he still had compassion on people. And I think every day there's an opportunity for that. So I just encourage you to look for those little moments. Um, 
maybe not God's not calling you to start a nonprofit or move overseas or uh, serve the homeless or be Mother Teresa. Maybe He's just asking you to do something small today, and, and those little small things make a big impact. Um, you just never know the situations that you're in. I'll give you a quick story to wrap things up. <laughs> uh, this was one of those moments. I walked in to get my hair cut the other day, um, and I, as soon as I walked in, I could just there was a, just this something in the air. There was two beauticians in there uh, that that work, and the one that I don't know super well was on the phone, and she had it on speakerphone, and apparently she had gotten a call from the sheriff's department, and anyhow, long story short, she finds out on this phone call that's on speakerphone that I can hear uh, that she's just lost a brother. Um, Suddenly, I think he had a heart attack is what it sounded like, and they had to call and tell her, and so she obviously is very distraught, and so I was like, God, I don't know what to do here, you know, and you can say you're sorry. But I just thought, you know what, I need to offer to ask her if she would want me to pray for her. That's all I know to do. And so in that moment, um, that was what was prompted. And I just said, hey, do you care if I, I say a prayer for you? And she said that was fine. So I tried to say that. And I didn't have the words, just prayed for peace and comfort. I don't know the family or anything like that. But just in that moment, it's just like, wow, I did not. I was really planning on going in, getting my hair cut and getting out of here. Um, but that was the moment that was presented. And um Maybe you'll have moments like that, or you'll have just moments where people just need a kind word. Whatever it is this season, I'd encourage you, look for those, those just everyday little moments that pop up and, um, and be a blessing. Guys, thank you so much for coming back for another episode. I want to thank Anthony for coming on. Uh, make sure you go over and check out our YouTube channel. There's new stuff coming out on Shutting Light Outdoors. Um, Doe videos up and all that. Appreciate your comments and feedback. We always enjoy that. And I hope to have at least one more episode before Christmas. But if not, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thank you so much for listening to this show. And until next time, remember to shed the light.